I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Turn up your volume, because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast, The Eye Test, with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy. The Stanley Cup winning Colorado Avalanche, and after 22 years, Raymond The Sickest NHL Podcast, it's gonna be sick. And welcome to another edition of the eye, po- the eye Test on the Sick Podcast Network. Jimmy Murphy here with Pierre McGuire. And where we are, where, where I am right now, but where you usually reside, Pierre, it is Bean Pot Monday, the first Monday of the Bean Pot, a huge day in Boston sports here and across the college hockey world, BU, BC. And before that, they will have Northeastern Harvard. Uh, you've been to a few of these, Pierre, over the years. You know what it means to this city. Well, it's gigantic. It's not just for the city. It's for the players that are playing, the families that are supporting, the players, the students that sit in all different corners of the arena, the Mm -hmm. bands for all four teams. Uh, It's a magical moment for hockey, Jimmy. It really is. I've never experienced a bad bean pot. Now, I never went there cheering for anybody either. (laughs) I've seen heartbreak and I've seen enthusiasm and unbelievable energy. One of my real favorite times, believe it or not, was watching Jordan Harris score for Northeastern not mm-hmm. too long before he turned professional with the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, it was just a magical moment, I thought, in Northeastern hockey history, and they're so valiant when it comes to the bean pot, but also just with Jordan um, had fun doing it. It was fun. It was just fun to watch Jordan score in that game. But all our guests, I've seen them all play in the bean pot. Yep. I saw Scott Fusco playing the bean pot. I saw Greg Brown and Doug Brown, if it's going to be Doug today, <laughs> playing the bean pot. Johnny Cullen saw him playing the bean pot. And Jay Heinbuck saw him playing the bean pot. So, you know, it's just, it's a star powered Monday for bean pot aficionados. For sure. And of course, those are our guests. Just as you mentioned, John Carlin, formerly of BU, Scott Fusco, Harvard, Doug Brown, BC, and Jay Heinbuck, Northeastern. And we will talk to them shortly. Um, Pierre, you look at that. Let's get to the current edition, though, of this bean pot right now. And I mean, you talk about star studded and, you know, NHL caliber talent. Uh, this has to be I, I don't have the numbers for the most drafted players in one bean pot in front of me. I apologize. I didn't get, get that done before this, but it's got to be up there, Pierre. I mean, these teams are just stacked with some pro- prospects, especially in that BCBU game. They are, and our next guest was actually never drafted in a regular draft by an NHL team, Johnny Cullen. Yet he was Rookie of the Year in the, East, or in the ECAC back then. It wasn't even Hockey East. You know, he's the all-time leading scorer at Boston University. 
the team that drafted them in the supplemental draft, the Buffalo Sabres, they yep. didn't even sign Johnny. Johnny had to go play in Flint in the old IHL. And then obviously somebody got really smart in Pittsburgh and signed him. And the rest is history for John, who played almost 700 regular season games in the NHL. He yes. was a spectacular offensive dynamo. But as far as this uh, bean pot edition, I can't believe BC and BU are playing again. <laughs> you know, yeah. we just had them playing back to back. Wow. It was unbelievable. The star power for both teams is amazing. Most of these guys that have been drafted will play in the NHL. Some are going to play in a hurry and make a big impact. So it's going to be fun to watch. I can't wait to watch both games tonight. And the other thing that's great about it, too, on the flip side, is you got players that aren't drafted. You mentioned like a Johnny Cullen who are maybe having great college careers, but just for whatever reason, the eyes, the right eyes to take the eye test have not been put in front of them. Well, everyone's going to be there today. There's scouts. There, there's there's GMs at this game. Tons of people around the NHL world will be in TD Garden tonight. Or now that it's on TSN in Canada, it's it's on nationally as well on ESPN Plus. Be watching all around the world, in North America, and all around the world. So it, it's it's also a chance to put these kids to showcase them and what they have to do. And maybe you know it's just a matter if they slipped under the radar. Well, now they have a chance to shine in the spotlight. They definitely do. You know, one of the great things is when Johnny Cullen was playing in the bean pot, they were actually playing in the old Boston Garden. And when mm-hmm. you think about it, and Johnny will talk about it because he's played you know, a yeah, lot of big games in that building too. Yeah. Um, that was a different animal. And yeah, I want to kind of get to know what John thought about playing in the old garden versus the new garden. And I think he'll have some pretty good stories for us. Well, let's bring him on right now to talk about this. His former NHLer and former BU star, Johnny Cullen, joining us here on the iTest on the Sick Podcast Network. How you doing, John? Hey, guys. I'm doing good. Good to see you. Thanks for Damn, having he's me. never Thanks looked you better. Know. Johnny, you've never yeah, looked look better. Too. It's been a long time, buddy. It's good <laughs> to see you. Good to see you. Nice, Johnny. Where are you based now, John? Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Good. When I when I retired in uh, from the Lightning back in 2000, uh, my brother owns a car dealership down here, and I grew up in the car business, so I've been with him ever since. Oh, nice, nice. So, Murph, I'm just going to let you know something John knows. When the Collins and the Maguires get together, some car aficionado things, they play golf and they have some fun together. John and I just did the hockey stuff. Now he's in the car. <laughs> <stuff>. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. And you might have a hockey team there again soon too, John. That's, you know, that's kind of the – the chatter around the league, we'll see. But uh, let's get to some hockey that's happening in Boston right now, John. And as uh, Pierre was just saying before you came on, uh, you got to play the bean pot in the old Boston Garden. So talk to us about what it was like playing in the friendly or maybe not so friendly at times for skaters, uh, old Boston Garden. Well, yeah, Pierre alluded to it. The Boston Garden, it was, I mean, for the bean pot, it was nuts. It was crazy. Um, as you know, the old stadiums like Chicago or the Maple Leaf Gardens, Montreal Forum, they're on top of you. And mm-hmm. it was loud. And, our, you know, both all the bands are there from every school. Uh, very exciting. I know it's got to be a little different atmosphere in the big rinks now, but in the old Boston Garden, it was fabulous. John, you played for the great Jack Parker. You were a revelation coming out of Ontario. Your offensive skills were obviously overwhelming. Your rookie of the year in the ECAC, your first year. What was it like to play for a guy that wanted as a player, wanted as an assistant coach, and wanted as a head coach in Jack Parker? Coach was great. Um, you know, he was uh, there for what forty, geez, forty some years. 
I know he's gonna be mad at me for forgetting this number now, but um, he was uh, a player's coach, a demanding coach, though. Um, mm-hmm. He got the best of all of us, and uh, you know, and also he cared about us. He's a he's a great friend to this day. Yeah, and you know, one thing I liked about uh, Coach Parker too, he he took it upon himself so much to just spread the game and and the love of the game and promote the game around Boston. I mean, you couldn't go anywhere and not hear about him or BU hockey. Uh, so it, it must have been great just to see, so I won't say pioneer, but a, an ambassador, so to speak, of the game that he was. Oh, absolutely. For him being there that long, and then he played at BU, obviously. So right. he, was there, he was there forever, um, and, and he was definitely an ambassador of the game in, in Boston, um, being, being just being there that long. It's an amazing career he had there. Take us inside one of the big rivals John Cullen had to go through in your bean pot time. Well, you know, Pierre, as you said, you know, growing up in Canada, uh, outside Toronto, I had no clue about the bean pot, no clue. And obviously it was big for players in that area. Um, uh, the guys from Boston, uh, just to play, just to play in the garden, you know, just, it was a huge, it's like me growing up trying to play in Maple Leaf Gardens, you know. Gonna be, right. be which you did, by the way, Jimmy. Which, which, which I did, did yeah. Which, which you did. I did. <laughs> which I did. That was pretty. It was pretty cool. Um, and so I really knew. I, did, I didn't know anything about it until until um, obviously the first game back in what eighty three, yeah. um, and then uh, um, I was lucky enough to play in all four finals because um, you never want to play in a consolation game. Only reason, be, only <laughs> reason, one of my is, <laughs> only reason. Oh, no, yeah. And so we lost our first two, won, uh, won our last two. Um, but when you walk in the rank in the constellation game, and you're like, 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 because you're getting ready for the, the the big the big game, the finals. It's like nothing's really going on. It's quiet a little bit. Yep. Um, and then when you're in the room, you can hear it outside. You can hear people coming in because the Boston Garden. You can hear everything, and you can hear people. It all of a sudden, started getting louder, and you just got so pumped up. That final game was. <laughs> I was lucky enough to play all four finals. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was great. And like you said, you lost the first two, but then you, you beat BC, then you beat Northeastern in your final one. Um, just for our listeners out there, now I know all these schools have a bit of a rivalry, but if you can just explain to them, you know, we've we've spoken about it a couple times, but just touch on the BCBU rivalry. Maybe even draw a comparison to an NHL rivalry if you think that would help. No, the, the BCBU was was – massive even even back then um and you know they had a you know they had a great team back then we had mm-hmm. a good we had a great team too but they had geez they had Leachy, they had Janney, they had kevin stevens i mean the, both the brown brothers i mean i mean they were it was every time we played them it was exciting and 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 uh you know but we had a, we had a great team too we had a great team too and the rivalry was just huge and nice. uh, very exciting Hey, Jimmy, I can just say this. John would taunt Kevin Stevens when they played on the option line together. It was Cullen <laughs> Stevens and Recky as a line, if you can imagine, in the NHL. And all those guys are pretty talkative, but nobody could talk like Johnny. Johnny yeah. was the best. Well, I don't know, Pierre. I'm not sure I could beat Artie or Rex. I'm not sure. <laughs> Yeah, they were good. Actually, I saw guys today, uh, Charlie McAvoy after practice had a BC hat on because he lost a bet. Uh, to, to John McLean, the B, a BC coach, uh, that's the assistant coach now. Yeah, he lost a bet from the games last week, so he said, I got to honor the bet. So he had the BC hat on. Yeah. So there's a lot of that that still goes on around the league, I'm sure, in offices, in bars, everywhere. They keep it going. Oh, I, I, absolutely. Absolutely. What, I mean, if you, so you win 
I know it's probably hard to narrow down, but the 86 or the 87, which one meant more to you? Was it the 87 because it was your senior year? Well, not really. Okay. Um, as we go back to the BUBC thing. Right? That's what I, I, I hoping you were going to go there. <laughs> yeah. And again, BC was, was stacked. I think we, God, 30 some years ago, four, one, five, four, two. I can pick like, that score up for you right yeah. now. I, I remember the 87 game because I know we we beat – and Northeastern was pretty successful back then in the, in the B. They went to the finals a lot. They yeah. had a good team too. But I know we beat them in overtime um, in 87. Um, Mike Kelfer, I think. Mike Kelfer. I think – yeah. Um, either him or Peter Marshall. I think it was Mike Kelfer who scored the big, the big goal for us in North, against Northeastern and OT. But the BC, again, the, there, there was nothing like BU, BC, and, and – and for us, to, um, for us to, uh, um, you know, just beat them was in because the bean pot was so huge. It, it was something like it was big, big, big back then. You nailed the big, score. big, and it's even big now. I know they. Yep. I know. I yep. know they just played. I know they just played uh, two games last weekend, and, and BU didn't do very well. But, <laughs> but so yeah. you nailed the score. It was four to one when you beat BC in '86, and then you beat Northeast in four three in overtime in '87. Yeah. So yeah. those are the game. Yep. But, I mean, those, the, the OT was very exciting winning OT because, you know, the, you know, the crowd was going crazy. It was awesome. Good stuff. John, I can't thank you enough for doing this. You look fantastic. I know you've been battling through a lot of health stuff, but you look amazing. Amazing. Yeah, Pierre, I appreciate it. I feel good, bud. Thank yeah. you. Good And good to see you. Yeah, I'll stay in touch, Johnny. Really good talking to you. Thank good you so much. Good to have you on here. Appreciate it. Thanks, really Johnny. Appreciate Johnny Collins joined us here on the eye test with Pierre McGuire and myself, Jimmy, Jimmy. Murphy. Yes. Jimmy, I just got to tell you something. He's a humble guy. He's about as intense a competitor as you'll ever meet. And not a very big man, tough as nails, Jimmy. Yeah, that's what I tough heard from Rex. Tough. I'm just telling you. And yeah. never took a backseat to anybody, never complained about anything. I, you know, one summer or two summers, I think we worked together at different hockey camps and he hadn't been drafted. And a lot of people were wondering, how could he not be drafted? Like, this guy was rookie of the year. He was putting up like 100 points in college hockey. Just people were worried about his size back then. And then you see him play. And I had the privilege of working with him in two cities, in Pittsburgh and Hartford. Uh -huh. When he was a player and I was coaching, I just couldn't say enough good things about Johnny Cullen. I cannot. Yeah. And, you know, I, I that was the only time I've met him. And I haven't met him in person, Pierre. But everything I hear, he's just. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. He's a hard worker. Like that was a that was the definition was hard work. That was a common thread I heard about John. He, he was a play. You know what? I'm going to say this now, and some people say, "Well, wait a second. Adam Oates is in the Hall of Fame." There wasn't a big difference between Adam Oates and the way he played and John Cullen and the way he played. They made everybody around them better. I'm just telling you. And I coached against one of them for a long time, Oates, and I coached with and against one of them in Cullen. And I'm telling you. Pretty darn similar in terms of how they approach the game. Let me ask you this, Pierre. You know, so he had that experience playing in the old garden from his days at BU. Um, would coaches like kind of 
pick the brains of players that had experience playing in there when you're a visiting team coming in? Is yeah. that something you utilize for sure? Absolutely. I remember uh, when we played the Bruins in the 91 Eastern Conference Final, Bob Johnson talked to Joey Mullen, who played at Boston College, talked yep. to Kevin Stevens. Um, and I think he even talked to Paul Stanton, who, who played at Wisconsin, but played, I think, high school tournaments at the Boston Garden. And one of the things that Bob did, he brought a measuring tape out and he had somebody, I think it was Barry Smith stand at one blue line and Rick Keogh stand at the other, the two assistant coaches. How far is that apart? And they gave some number. He says, same exact size as Pittsburgh, so don't worry about it, boys. We're going to generate just as much through the neutral zone here as we did in Pittsburgh. So yeah. Bob was always really smart to do these kinds of things, and, and it worked really well, obviously. I, I think it was more the uh, the mental aspect that, that felt confining to you, right, when you were in the garden, just because the fans were so on top of you. Yeah, that and the corners were small. You know, yeah. it's in the offensive zone, it was a different way of manufacturing offense with those tight corners. Uh, now, Pierre, I got to ask you before we get our next guest, and uh, we're going to be having him on shortly. We've got Scott Fusco, former Harvard player, join us. When was your first experience with the Bean Pop as a fan? Uh, oh, my gosh. I'm going to say I got released by New Jersey in 84 as a player. I started coaching in 84, 85. So I'm going to say 85 was the first one I went to. Um, back then, they didn't have it on TV unless you were in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. I don't even think Nesson was going then. Um, no, no, it was TV 38. Yeah, it was TV 38. So I don't even think Nesson wasn't even going. So I'm going to say 85 was probably the first one that I had the uh, privilege of attending. And I haven't missed too many. I'm going to miss the first night, obviously, tonight. But I yeah. will be there next Monday. And I'm trying to talk you into coming, which you know, oh. Jimmy. I am I coming. Me. Count me in. Count me in. I look. I look forward to it. And Pierre, I want to just ask you. So go back to that first experience. You go in there, probably not understanding, like people outside of Boston don't. You know, it's it's got an allure to it. But what was that first experience like? Just sitting in the stands and seeing the back and forth between the schools. Overwhelming. You know, the, the I, I, look, you're talking to a kid that grew up in Montreal. I used to pay 50 cents with my brothers to stand in the uh, standing room section of the old forum. They had a trumpeter there by the name of Dutchie and he would play all the time and he was legendary. That's oh yeah. Awesome. And so, you know, like I was so fortunate as a young kid to grow up in Montreal and experience all this great right. stuff in the forum and all the winning. And then I went to the bean pot and I was like, this is really good. Like, this is amazing. Now it's not the Stanley cup. I don't, I've had the fortune of winning that thing twice yeah. and broadcasting a ton of them. Um, but yeah, different, just really different. I thought it was awesome. And then not too late, uh, much later in my career. So 88, 89, I coached in the old Boston garden with St. Lawrence university working for Joe Marsh. And we ended up beating Cornell and then UVM to win the uh, ECAC championship. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't believe what it was like. That's the first time I ever had a chance to stand at ice level and actually coach there. Oh, wow. And everybody really was on top of you. And then, yeah. you know, you coach in the NHL and it's just, it's a totally different animal when you're coaching in the NHL in the old Boston garden. It was different. Well, I'll tell you, so I got a good bean pot story. I wasn't at the bean pot, but it's somewhat connected. So, um, 78, I don't know if you've ever heard about the blizzard of 78. Oh, 100%. They had the, the first night at a bean pot. They actually still went through with it despite warnings from the weathermen and, you know, people saying, oh, this is, might not be a good idea. So they go through with it, Pierre, right? My dad's there. My dad's a BC alum. So he's there with a bunch of buddies. I'm like four years, four years old. I'm not even four yet, about three and a half at that point. I'm home with my mom. And I had been sick for a little. And suddenly, I guess my fever just rose 
really fast and she got all worried. She calls. And then I started to go into a convulsion as a kid and they had to take me to the hospital. So she's going to the hospital in a blizzard trying to get a hold of my dad. And my dad goes, well, I got news from you. They're not letting us out of here. We can't go. The roads are all shut down. So he got stuck in the Boston Garden overnight at the 78 Bean Pot. I was in the hospital at the same time as my poor mom. Oh, that's yeah. crazy. That's, that's a great a story. story. A lot of people, they said there's thousands of people that got stuck in a Boston Garden in 1978. So That's a good folklore story. That's kind of like the 05 World Junior. All the people came down from Manitoba. They you couldn't leave. So they had to open up the indoor football stadium at University of North Dakota. And one of the things that happened, we shared it with Coach Barry, Brad Barry, who was on Friday, on On Campus Friday. They drank all the beer in the town. The the town was drunk dry by the people that were staying at the football stadium. (laughs) I'm sure that happened at the garden that night in 78. I bet it it did. We better get to our next guest. Well, let's get him. We got him. Scotty Fusco join us right now. Former Harvard player. Hey, Scott, how are you? Good. How are you? Can you hear me all right? We can hear you fine. Can hear you fine. I got Pierre here. He's down in South Carolina. I'm I'm back up here in Boston like you. Um, Exciting time. You heading over in a bit? I am. Nice. Hop in the car and hit in. Nice. Nice. Well, you know, we're talking and trying to get it to our viewers that aren't from around the Boston area or have an experience of Beanpot, what it's like. So I guess, Scott, if you could say in a few words that come to your mind right away, just quick descriptions of what the Beanpot is. Um, The way I look at it is it's, it's community. You know, it's the Boston hockey community. You see people there. You might see it once a year. You might see it every, see every week. If, you, if you're in rinks and it's just, it's a great time to catch up. sort of see what's going on with the, you know, the current players, current schools. And you sort of have a couple of different factions, right? You have the students, you have people that are fans of a certain school and they have the hockey community. And that, those are the people I like to see that, you know, you run into, you might spend five years, but you know, you, you catch up in five minutes. Good Jimmy, stuff. I have to tell you this. So Scott knows a lot about ranks. I don't think there's any human that does more for the women's game in particular than Scott Fusco. And Scott, you're to be commended on that. Everything you've done for women's hockey is amazing. And it's not just women. You do a lot for the men too. But the women's game is growing under your watchful eye. I have to ask you, how important, as you've seen it grown, is a women's bean pot, especially after they played in TD Bank the other day? Oh, it's obviously great visibility. Uh, you know, women's hockey's every, I'd say every five years takes a big leap as mm-hmm. far as skill level and, and speed and, yeah. and ability of the players. So I'm currently coaching a U10 girls team and I also coach a U19 girls team. So I'm seeing sort of the start and not the finish, but close to, closer to the finish. And it's amazing to see the passion that they have. And, and you know, just my uh, most of my U10 team was at the bean pot at the garden. They had a great time, and just seeing those players on that stage is is, is inspiring for them, and, and I guess keeps them coming back to the rink. Well, I think too, Pierre. I th- we both agreed, and we we both caught it watching on TV. We're seeing in you know the when the first game was over, some of the players after the first game came out into the stands and were signing autographs with the young girls, and that to us stood out like that's what it's about, and this is this is where it's going, and 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 how far it's come. So that had to be rewarding to you to see as well, Scott. Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the women's teams are very good about doing events. A lot of the colleges do it as well. They'll do a skate with the team or they'll do autograph events. And 
I think it's it's not that the younger girls actually know who these players are particularly, mm -hmm. uh, but it's just that they see them and it's it gives them a path. Yeah, uh, we're lucky, you know. I, I run the East Coast Wizards program. You know, we're sort of fortunate enough that we have a lot of players. Uh, mm -hmm. We've had you know a dozen players playing in the Beanpot on the different schools. So our our girls do like to go and look in the program and see where these girls. <laughs> well, you know what? They were they're not that far ahead of me. You know, four years ago they were playing here, and that's where I am. So it definitely them sort of hope and some inspiration. Scott, I have to ask you: you played for one of the truly great hockey legends in Bill Cleary. He obviously didn't get a chance to play in the Bean Pot like you and your brother Mark did. The only brothers, by the way, Jimmy, to ever win the Hobie Baker are the Fusco brothers. Both of them doing it at Harvard, playing for Bill wow. Cleary. What was it like to play for Coach Cleary? I couldn't say I can't say more good things about my experience playing at Harvard for Coach Cleary. Um, he's just a sort of a special, special guy. Uh, great personality, obviously knowledgeable about the game. Um, he gave us a lot of confidence. You know, we had very few sort of rules. You know, we had our systems, but honestly, they were pretty simple. And he trusted the players and. You know, I've, I've taken a lot with me to my coaching. You know, I'm always telling the players, like, you know, trust your instincts. You know, you're good players. You've been here before. You know what's going to happen, right? So figure it out. Go there. If you're wrong, you're wrong. Like, that's okay. We'll get it right the next time. And he just gave us a lot of sort of freedom to uh, offensively. You know, we had our little structure on the, on the defensive end. You certainly have to take care of certain things there. Um, but he let us play, and if things went well, that's great. If they didn't, we're back. We're right back out there. And he certainly gave me a great opportunity. Um, I had a great career there, but you know, right from the start, I got lots of ice time. I had good players to play with, and he gave me, you know, that chance. And that's all any player really asks for is, you know, to, to have that platform and have that opportunity. And then hopefully, you know, you do well and you sort of build it from there. Scott, did you go to the Bean Pot growing up as a kid too? Were you able to go there with your dad or anything? I did. Um, mm -hmm. I started going to Bean Pot when I was ten, maybe. And okay. I heard getting on. I heard you talking about the Blizzard of '78. Yeah, I did not make it to the Bean Pot in the Blizzard of '78. <laughs> Good move. <laughs> I started to go. I, I grew up in Burlington, so I had maybe a twenty-five minute drive. We we tried to figure out how to get in. You know, through the snow, through Cambridge, you know, down through Arlington into Cambridge, and yeah. get, get somewhere into near Harvard Square, and I, my parents decided to turn around. Um, I think I was all for to keep keep them going, but um, looking bad, I think was back. I think it was a good decision on their part. Definitely, that, that's where they were the parents. Yeah, I was in Arlington, right by you. We we just had John Cullen on before you, Scott, and I know he was the unbelievably fierce competitor. You, I know, unbelievably fierce competitor. Is there one rivalry situation that you remember from your Beanpot days, whether it was against BU, BC, or Northeastern? You know what? Honestly, my Beanpot experience, um, I mean, personally, I think I, I enjoyed it and I did well. As a team, we did not do that well. Yeah. Um, I was in a lot of consolation games in the bean pot. <laughs> it seemed like every year we would come out of our exam break. Our first game would be the bean pot. And, you know, we'd find ourselves down, you know, two or three, nothing before we sort of figured out what was what. And we had a hard time getting out of the first round. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, so it was enjoyable, but I can't really point to any great memories on that, on that side. Uh -oh. <laughs> I hear you. Now, 
the um you look at Harvard though you mentioned it, those were some tough years though but I mean they did they after that they started to come out and they got a few right yeah I mean, we we did well when I was there and everything else but the bean pot and then they did pick it up you know a little bit you know after that and, and lately they've won a couple yeah uh, it's kind of a funny tournament right the best team doesn't always win um BU had a big straight string there for a lot of years where they oh, God. here no matter whether the team was good or average they were going to win no matter what for some reason and um it is sometimes hard to break through there yes i mean so just for everyone out there for our viewers so you know the statistics right now heading in BU's got 31 championships Boston College has 20 Harvard has 11 and Northeastern has eight. So um, at least you're not down the bottom there right now. True. And I was at the first <laughs> Northeastern one. I think Wayne, Wayne Turner had a Wayne game. Turner. Yep. Well, and that was in the seventies, late seventies, probably that took them to get there first. So yeah, been pretty well since then too. You have any great old Boston garden memories, Scott? Yeah. I mean, lots of Boston garden memories. We played in the ECACs. In, in Boston Garden. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we won it. We won a couple ECAC titles. Um, we beat Providence in a great game for one of them. Um, we had good battles with RPI when they won the national championship in 85. We lost that final, but that was, that was a great game. Uh, one of the things I remembered most was, you know, the old garden, at least the locker rooms we dressed in, you'd have to walk like through the crowd to get there. Yeah. So there'd be people waiting. To go buy hot dogs and beer, and you're sort of pushing through them. <laughs> you walk in the game, and like there's your neighbor, you know, sitting there having a beer and sort of say hello on the way out to the ice. And they certainly wouldn't do that anymore, but it was kind of a, a funny sort of entrance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I remember as a fan, it's a side story, nothing to do with the bean pot, but funny. So I'm sitting there waiting to get a slice of pizza, and the Canadians are there trying to come in and get to the ice. Right as Scott says, right by the concession stand. And for some reason, they're held up. I don't know if there's something going on with the Zamboni, but they they were backed up. So they're just standing there in the middle of the fans in the corner. Lyle Odelines to my left, and he looks at me and goes, hey, kid, how's that pizza? It's <laughs> great. It's, uh, you know, Sicilian style. Uh, the guy's from the North End. He goes, all right, I'm going to have to grab one after the game. And then he just kept walking, and that was it. <laughs> But that's how close you are to the players. You're, yeah. you're lucky Odie didn't steal your pizza. He might I know, right? <laughs> but you know, offered him one. Mm. Anyhow, good stuff. Uh, well, we appreciate you joining us, Scott. We appreciate you taking the time. Get in yeah. there. Have a safe trip in there and uh, enjoy the games tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Enjoy thanks a lot, Scott. See you soon. All right. Thank you. Form, uh, former Harvard player, Scott Fusco, joining us. Man, what a job he's done up with uh, oh. his rinks up there. Jimmy. It's in Bedford, Massachusetts, and I'm telling you right now what the Fusco family has done to grow hockey in the entire state, but in particular for women's hockey, is unbelievable. And they never get enough acclaim. They never get enough credit. Um, I skate there in the summers, and I I try to give back the way they give back. They've been amazing uh, mentors and role models to me. And I really appreciate everything that they do for the entire sport of hockey. And I'm telling you right now, the most, I would say, um, polite, generous people when it comes to helping grow the game. And they never, ever, ever tell anybody about it. Yeah. It's amazing. It really is amazing. It's true. They're a great family. And, and, you know, he said that the bean pot's about community. And as he said that, Pierre, I'm thinking, well, so are you. I mean, he is truly about he really the is. community. 
So he has three daughters. Um, all of them played college hockey. Bradley played at Harvard. Nell played at Bowdoin. And uh, the youngest one, Mia, played at Trinity. They've all, they've all grown up in hockey. I had them all when they were young ladies in That's hockey awesome. camps. So I've known them since they've been five or six years old. But to see – and I love what Scott said. Every five years, the game grows. Again, you see it. So, yep. And he's not messing around. He just got back from Ottawa, Ontario. His U10 team was playing in a tournament there this weekend. They lost in the final, one nothing. And uh, his probably the biggest disappointment he had, because we were texting back and forth, they closed the canal. He was going to take his whole team skating on the canal, Whoa. but they couldn't skate because it was too warm. So oh, I know. So this is the thing. Like, he wants all these young ladies to experience all these different things that you can via hockey. And one of the great ones is, is iconic is skating on the canal, the Rideau Canal in Ottawa. Yeah. It's not tracked it for like a month, and he kept sending me notes asking me about it. And obviously they couldn't do it. But of all the things, he gets his, brings his team to the final, these U10 young ladies, and then they don't get to skate wow. on the canal. Hey, maybe another time. But, uh, no, I think it's great what he does. And, I look, it, all these guys, they still stay connected to the community, and that's that's what's great about it. Uh, you know, before we get uh, Doug Brown on to talk a little Boston College, why don't we talk a little Boston College sure. here? And, as, you know, they referenced earlier that they did sweep BU there uh, last week. And one of the guys that you've been totally promoting, rightfully so, and saying, watch out, he's coming, is Montreal Canadiens prospect Jacob Fowler. And one of the things you've said about him that impresses you is his composure. How important is it to have that in this atmosphere tonight? So this will be his first taste of this. Mm -hmm. Now he has won some big games on the road, especially going into BU last Saturday, not this past Saturday, the Saturday before going in there and winning. Uh, not easy to do. That being said, this is a whole different thing. Um, and and so I don't think it will be a problem for him. Just like when Devin Levi played for Northeastern, it wasn't a problem for him playing in that kind. And I don't think yeah. it will be for Fowler. Plus, you got to remember, Fowler's had a taste of World Junior this mm -hmm. year for a gold medal winning team. So I think he'll be okay. All that being said, if you give up a bad goal early, can you reel it back in? Because that environment is tough. It really you gotta, is. Tough. You got to move on. You yep. got to just move on. I think this guy can do it. I do. I, I don't think he's that far away from being NHL ready. I, and I've told that to people within the Canadians organization. But again, until you get there, nobody knows. Nobody it's, knows. Speaking of the Canadians organization, I'm, I'm pretty sure one Kent Hughes uh, and Jeff Gordon will be at this game tonight. Knowing that for lots for lots of reasons, yes. Jeff Gordon's son doesn't play at BU yet, but he's there. Um, and obviously, Lane Hudson and Luke Tuck, and you know, one of Kent's sons is playing yep. for Boston University as well. So, lots of different reasons for the Canadians to have a presence. But you know, I'd say Jacob Fowler would be a pretty good reason for oh, them yeah. to have a presence too, for sure. And then, of course, you know, you guys saw that uh, Craig Conroy, GM of the Calgary Flames, is with his team. They're playing the Bruins tomorrow. So he'll be there as well, along with his staff. And uh, from you know, a lot of the scouts that you got to think we're going to be at the Bruins game tomorrow, probably come a day early to watch either some of their prospects or potential draft picks yeah. uh, upcoming. Well, Macklin Celebrini will be the big prospect that everybody will be watching just because he's going to go for – unless something crazy happens, he's, he's going first overall yeah. this summer. And uh, I would say – and I, I've seen other people have said this. I've been telling you this for a while, Jimmy. Um, he's Jonathan Taves. Mm -hmm. I think maybe a little bit 
more of a motor. So I remember saying that about a player, and, and I say this out of respect. When I saw Austin Matthews for the first time, he reminded me of Ronnie Francis because of his ability to dominate the play and the puck and also how to defend. And I remember telling Donnie Granato at USA Hockey at the time where he was coaching, this guy's Ron Francis, except he's got a better engine. And, and that wasn't a knock on Ronnie. It's just no. the reality. Austin just has got a real good engine. Yeah. Um, and I would say, and this is not a knock on Johnny Taves, who's going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. Yeah. But I would say Celebrini might have a bit of a better engine than, than Taves had. Doesn't yeah. mean he's a better player, just a little bit better engine. So you're a scout. You're let's let's put you in uh, the scouting shoes here right now. You're scouting. You're at a tournament like this. What are the three biggest things you're looking for from a player? Uh, how they handle the pressure. Mm-hmm. How they manage the puck at both blue lines. And if you're a forward, can you release the puck quickly rather than overthink the play? And if you're a defenseman, can you make the first pass crisp mm-hmm. and clean? So it depends on forwards and defense. The final intangible. But I'd say handling the, the pressure of the moment really matters. And that's why some people say, well, it doesn't always matter the program you go to. It, it sometimes does matter actually where you go because yeah. it depends on the types of environments you get to play in. Exactly. You know, Bingo. I can just say if you play at a school that continually goes to a final four in their league, scouts appreciate that. And that matters. If you play for a school that constantly goes to the NCAA tournament, that matters. If you play for a school that plays in the bean pot every year, that matters. Yep. So there, all these events, they matter. And if you're a player, I'll use this as an example, that can play in the world junior, that matters. It's a huge developmental oh, sure. tool. So all these things matter. And some kids get to experience it, and some, unfortunately, just don't. That's just yep. part of the deal. And, you know, too, you, I like to sometimes, and you've probably – experience this as a scout too when you see a kid that maybe isn't that hyped up here come into a situation like this and boom he arrives i love moments like that it's, you know obviously you want to they have to follow yeah. it up and continue it after that point but that's another thing that this this game these games here this tournament presents to me is is just environments for players that are maybe kind of flying under the radar to show up and get noticed that's a great point i i completely agree jimmy you know, one of the, the big things, Mike Odessa, Mike Odessa excuse me, oh, was yeah. a coach at, at uh, RPI, very successful, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he had that great team um, with Adam Oates and Mike Dark and uh, Mike Satapor and Darren Poopa and Mike Joplin. I mean, it was uh, Johnny like, Carter. Johnny Carter. Johnny yep. Carter. Like they, 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 had a, they had a phenomenal, phenomenal team. I, and one of the things that came out of, I think, their success was how Adam Most was able to dominate games. We talked about Adam before, but I think one of the reasons why he ended up at RPI and he went there late was because people didn't appreciate how good he was. And then all of a sudden he goes to an environment where he's playing a lot of those big games and yeah. everybody's like, oh, this guy's really good. And eventually he made a, a whack of money because of it. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it just shows you when you're presented opportunities, you got to take advantage of them. Speaking of playing big games, our next guest, and we're, we're waiting for him. He's just texting me now. He says he'll be here ASAP. He was just coaching a game. Is Doug Brown, formerly of BC, and of course, Stanley Cup champion twice with the twice, Detroit uh, Red Wings. Detroit, yeah, 97 yep. and 98. Um, you know, again, I've known the family a long time. I'm a big fan. So he's the only person on this podcast today who played in the bean pot. His brother played in the bean pot. 
and he had two sons play in the bean pot. Wow. He's the only one. And so one of his sons, Patrick, you know very well, yep. is playing in the Boston Bruins organization now. And the other son, Christopher, is playing down in Jacksonville, Florida, in the ECHL. And, and he's put up some startlingly large numbers wow. playing down in Jacksonville. Christopher has. So I'm cool. looking forward to I'm looking forward to talking to Greg about that, being the dad of two boys that played in the same event as him. Not everybody gets to say that they could do that. So I don't remember uh, Doug as well in his college days, Pierre, because I was oh, younger then. But, uh, you know, what was he like? Oh, dog on a bone. Hard to play against. Great okay. wheel, great wheels. Really smart defensively. Uh, so a guy that had – what he was with the Red Wings. I mean, yeah, that's how I remember. had to work hard for his opportunities. Mm -hmm. An amazing teammate. Um, fearless. Uh, yeah, no – I, so I remember watching him a ton. You know, I, I just started coaching, and I, I used to call these coaches and say, "Can I come watch your team practice?" Because we would practice earlier in the day, and a lot of them would practice late. So I'd go watch Northeastern, I'd go watch BU, or I'd go watch BC. I, I'd even talk to Coach Cleary, and he would let me come watch uh, Harvard practice. So I'd do all these different things, and I'd watch these players, and I just try to learn about it because I thought my playing career was going to last forever. It just didn't. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to be better at the next level, and that was coaching for me. And I just go watch, and every time I'd watch Doug, I'd be like, "Well, this guy's going to make it." And and yeah. you know, a lot of people didn't think he would, but I was yeah. like, "Well, he's going to make it. He's going to make." And he obviously did. So I just remember him from those Red Wings teams, Pierre, and he was one of those guys. Like we've discussed this numerous times in the last few weeks, as the trade deadline gets closer, he was one of those guys to me that that you know was essential to have maybe you don't notice him as much in the regular season but he's essential in the playoffs just like you talking about his workmanlike ethic there but just clutch uh all his instinct he knew where to be he sensed plays happening and he broke up plays and, and that's what I always loved that he was one of the greatest role players I watched during my time as a fan watching the Red Wings that's how I remember Doug Brown well I'm really glad you brought that up if you were to have Igor Larionov on the shore. If you had Slava Fetisov on the shore, if you had Sergei Fedorov on the show, um, they would tell you the same thing. And I've, I've talked yeah. to Igor about, you know, Doug numerous times. Um, and they would tell you the same thing. Like he was such an appreciated teammate because he would do all that heavy lifting, which right. would allow those guys to go out and play offense. Mm -hmm. um, and at key times, I mean, nothing's more rewarding for a player and when your coach has you on the bench in the last three minutes of a game and you know you're going every other shift, yep. especially when you're up by a goal. Yeah. And, it, and, and in Doug's case, that happened a lot, especially when he was playing for Scotty Bowman. That happened a lot. Well, after we got – we're wait, still waiting on Dougie here. Uh, after we get that, we've got Mr. Heinbeck coming on, the Northeastern yeah. great. Yeah, now, he's coming on. He seems pretty <laughs> excited as well. And – Look, as they were saying, Northeastern had some bad luck. Harvard's had some bad luck there. But uh, they're always – Northeastern always seems to be in the middle of it in the bean pot. They may not always win, but they always seem to be in the middle of it, creating havoc. And we talked to Jimmy Madigan. He was great to have on. Jimmy's going to be there tonight, I'm sure. Um, but, <laughs> oh, yeah. He'll be, he's there already. He's yeah, probably he's there waiting racing all stuff. over the place. Don't worry yeah. about Jimmy. He'll the mayor. The mayor. Um, but talk to me about Heinbach. What was he like as a player? Great offensive player. Unbelievable player when it came to making the players around him better. Played the point on the power play a lot for the older, great Fernie Flamin. Um, 
Jay actually went and played in Europe for the same team that I played on before I went to New Jersey. So, um, no, I've had a lot of time to get to know Jay over the years. He's done an outstanding job in his second hockey life, both as an assistant coach at St. Lawrence uh, and then as a scout uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins and the New York Islanders. He's with the Penguins now. But Jay's done some amazing things in the scouting business too. Uh, but what I always thought about Jay as a player was he made the guys around him better. Uh, yeah. And that's not an easy thing to do. And again, not an overly large guy, but great wheels, uh, really good ability to dissect the defense and again, move the puck properly. And that's one of the reasons why I think uh, he played the point on the power play. He's got a good story to tell you about his, I think, second bean pot experience might have been his first. Okay. But I don't want to let it out of the bag yet. I want to let him tell it. And if he doesn't tell it, I'm going to remind him. Okay. Deal, deal. Well, we're still trying to track down Doug Brown. I'll give him one last text here. Uh, he says, Russian, I'll be there as soon as possible. So we'll hopefully get him on. Yeah, yeah. Um, before we go, I want to just switch gears for a second off topic, Pierre, because a lot did go down over the weekend at the All-Star weekend uh, for the NHL. Um, you know, and obviously we addressed uh, the Monaghan trade the other day, but there's still a lot of chatter coming out of the uh, the All-Star when it comes to trades, when it comes to the, the Arizona Coyotes. Tons of stuff, Pierre. What were some of the biggest storylines that, that struck you that came out of the All-Star weekend? Honestly, the Olympics. Yeah. The that's NHL, what I'm going to tell you the straight up truth. The NHL finding a way to figure out going to the Olympics. Jimmy, I'm just telling you, it's huge for the players that are in the league. Do you want to showcase players? You mm-hmm. want to grow your TV brand? Yep. You put Nathan McKinnon in the Olympics. You put Connor McDavid in the Olympics. You make sure Timmy Stutzla and Leon Dreisaitl are going to the Olympics. Sidney Crosby, one last go at the Olympics. The man that scored the golden goal in 2010 in Vancouver. One of the largest moments in Canadian hockey history. I, I can go down the line. They, they made a mistake. They made a mistake in 18, not letting the guys go. I'm just telling you, they did. Yep. They made a mistake after the COVID Olympics in Beijing. I kind of get it why the guys didn't go. I yeah, get that. I was okay. But in 18, they made a mistake. Mm-hmm. They made a mistake. They can say whatever they want. I was there. They made a mistake. Move yep. on. The biggest, I thought, the biggest news coming out of that was the NHL is going to the Olympics, which I think is fantastic. I'm with you too. And I'm so glad because there have been some talents wasted in USA, Canada, even Germany, you mentioned there that haven't gotten a chance to be there uh, as NHL players. So it's going to be great. All right. We do have our next guest, Doug Brown, formerly of BC. And as I said, a two-time Stanley cup champion with the Detroit Red Wings joining us here on the eye test on the sick podcast network. We got him. I think they're just trying to bring him in. Cause he's just, uh, he's going to be audio. He's not the first guest we've ever had. That's audio. No, it's fine. We don't mind. It's okay. Oh, he's yeah. having issues. I'm told from the, from the text people right now. The gremlins are at it today, Pierre. Uh, no, 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 it's the only one. And it's listen, if people knew how hard our crew is efforting oh. to get this show up, uh, I'm so proud of them. Yeah. Really proud. Just I you know what? Too. I'm gonna tell the people. Just I was so just gonna know. say, I don't see why we can't tell them. Our, our people are sitting at an airport in Las Vegas, Nevada, getting ready to do the Super Bowl stuff, and they're actually doing this show sitting in a passenger lounge in Vegas at the airport. So yeah. thank you to That's them. How dedicated our they are phenomenal. Yeah. Yep. God bless him. All right. We do have Doug Brown now join us. Doug, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me, guys? What do we, we got? Loud and clear. Terrific. How, how'd the Terrific. game go? You guys win? You there? Oh, 
We it's a barn burner. We were yeah. we were up and down, up and down, and the shots are. Um, you got when you coach high school girls, it's so much fun because you're playing, you're coaching three different teams at the same time. There's the, the the first line really knows what they're doing. Second line's a bunch of athletes playing hockey, and the third line it's the first time playing, and it's a riot. So you you got to be a creative coach out there when you're coaching high school girls. So so is Doug Brown Scotty Bowman or is Doug Brown Lenny? Did Scott? I lose you guys? You hear me or not? Well, yeah, we got you loud and clear. We got you. Go ahead, Pierre. Hey, hey, Doug. Yes. It's Try Pierre it again. McGuire. It's Pierre McGuire. We hear you loud and clear. So I okay, got to ask: you, Are you Scotty Bowman style coach or a Lenny Siglarski style coach? Yeah, yeah. What a loaded question. Yeah, no, I am. <laughs> I, I, I am a protege of Scotty Bowman. I live and breathe by his philosophies and his. I feel that he gave me a PhD in hockey. No matter how good you thought you were before you had him, he brought the IQ up a whole nother level explaining his vision of how the game should be played. Well, Doug, let's, uh, let's go back to your bean pot memories. Now you did win one. You lost in a final. Um, what do you remember about that 1983 win when Boston college won it? Oh, well, a lot of concussions between then and now. So a little humor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, okay. So night that was against Northeastern. And uh, that was pretty exciting because we were freshmen and we were, I was a freshman and we were the, uh, we were ranked fourth out of those four teams. We were the weakest in the tournament. And for a long time there, the weakest team was winning a lot of this, a lot of those bean pots because that was our NCAA championship. We weren't going to win the NCAA. So we were all in on the bean pot and uh, that was pretty exciting. And uh, I actually, I actually remember something about that one because it showed my ego. Uh, I had a, uh, I had a goal six seconds in that for the longest time was the fastest goal in bean pot. Uh, yeah, I think it was the start of the second period. And then since then, I think somebody broke it, but I always got a kick out of it. <laughs> Doug, you know, one of the coolest things about you coming on is you had two boys that actually played in the bean pot, Patrick and Christopher. What was it like to be a dad having already played in the bean pot and won the Stanley cup? Watching your boys play in the bean pot. Yeah, that was special. So going back in the Boston Garden and getting the goosebumps. Uh, anytime you step into your hometown re- uh, arena, NHL mm-hmm. arena, and and see the bean pot, um, so special. I think I think Patrick's team won it all four four years, so that was easy for him. And I think Christopher's team did pretty well. Also, they won at least one, and uh, so that was always a lot of fun walking around the garden, seeing your boys battle cross town mm-hmm. rivalries. Uh, Doug, you know, one of the, the common threads we've been talking about of what the bean pot can do for a player is is really help them learn how to play in pressure situations, help them learn how to have composure. How much did that help you, you know, when you reflect back on it, when you became a pro, having experience like the bean pot? Yeah, it, it's an interesting comment. You, you may, and yes, very much so. No, you think about that. You, when you choose to play for one of those f- four Boston teams, if you grew up in the neighborhood, that is, you look for that excitement, that thrill, that that suspense. Uh, what, if you're if you're a youngster and you see the emotion and uh, the the college kids and the college girls screaming, you're going, yeah. I want to be part of this. They put me <laughs> in. Yeah, it's, it's great. <laughs> I would just remind the one that we're, we've said it millions of times too. We just love the the fans all situated in different areas of the arena, going back and forth, and the bands playing. It's it's got to be great as a player on the ice too. It, it it's really it's really it's emotional, and you find out you find out 
I don't know, you find out a little bit about yourself because there's all of a sudden you're playing in front of 15,000 people instead of a local high school rank. And uh, it's uh, you, you, you don't even, you know, when you go out on the ice in the Boston Garden, you don't even, your feet don't even touch the ice. It's hard, <laughs> it's hard, it's hard to breathe. You like you're, you're so nervous. Your heart is going a thousand miles an hour. Um, it is nerve wracking in a good way. So you, so, so call it, uh, you, you learn to either go one way or the other with that type of, uh, uh, suspense and nervousness and, and excitement and uh, you you better embrace it or else it'll run you over. Hey Doug, before you came on, we had Scott Fusco on and he and Mark, as you know, the only brothers to ever win the Hobie Baker Award, both doing it when they played at Harvard. Your brother, Greg, has had a phenomenal playing career and obviously now a coaching career, starting out as a head coach at your alma mater. What advice did you give Greg before this first bean pot as a head coach for him? Oh, no, no. I, I think we're way past that. What am I? 59 and he's 55. I, I, I think, I think we're past the advice thing. I actually, I, you know, when it comes to Gregory and I, I just, I ask him, you know, how, how ready are the boys? I didn't even have to say it about this, but the start of the season and, and uh, try to give him some Scotty Bowman isms. If, if if he if he's trying to right the ship, but that's about all I get. I I throw it from left field and just try to give him some some philosophies to keep the ship straight. Good stuff, good stuff. Oh, well, Doug, awesome. we appreciate you taking the time, and we also appreciate you doing uh, so much for girls hockey and women's hockey as well. We we're just talking Scotty Fusco and all he does as well, and just how far things have come. And that that doesn't happen without people like you. So thank you. Well, well, you're welcome. And, and, you know, it's the love of the game, just giving back, whether it's the boys or the girls. And, uh, hey, it, it, it puts a smile on my I, I, You know, here I am going into a high school girls game, and I got goosebumps going in that locker room getting ready to explain awesome. to them, it's, it's game day, girls. Let's get it on. Let's go. <laughs> hey, Doug, thank you so much for coming on. It means a ton to Jimmy and I. Really appreciate it. Hey, I, I appreciate you guys. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right. That's former NHL and former Boston College Eagle and Beanpot champion, Doug Brown joining us here on the eye test. And we're going to go right to our next guest. He played for Northeastern and that's Jay Heinbach joining us right now. Hey, Jay, how you doing? I'm doing good guys. Thanks for having me on. Heine, what's that picture behind you? What's the picture behind you, Heine? That is the 84 Beanpot Championship. There oh. you go. Let that's, me guess. Let me guess, Jay. That's me scoring a goal on Cleon Daskalakis. <laughs> see, Jimmy, I knew that. See, I, I just knew Heine you would know. have something to glorify his phenomenal career. And obviously, Cleon played at BU and Jay played at Northeastern. And sometimes there's some trash talking that goes on. Oh, there. yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and my shot was that, that you can actually see the puck there. It's actually being <laughs> dropped to me. That's not me delivering the shot. It was harder than that. <laughs> Nice, nice. What did that? So just go, take us back to that because you guys won back to back. You look, your first year you lost in the final, then you went back to back, and then you, you didn't. The last one was just consolation. But what yep. what was that like winning back to back titles for Northeastern and for you? Well, the celebration once you get into the celebration was phenomenal. Like like until all hours of the night at, at Punter's Pub, uh, which is the famous <laughs> place on campus at that time, and. Uh, so that was really cool. But I'll tell you, the, the two bean pots were, were different in one kind of real special way. The, the very first one in 84 was very emotional. Uh, and I don't know if you've touched on it or know the history. Uh, Fernie Flamin, uh, our coach at the time, his son Terry was, was gravely ill with uh, 
a, ter a terminal illness and that it was getting really bad leading up to the bean pot. And there were times uh, in the weeks before the bean pot that Fernie would come on the ice and, and start to put us through some drills and he would just emotionally break down and have to leave the ice. So it was, it was a real emotional time. Um, anyway, we, we won the bean pot that night and just like, you know, you prayed the Stanley cup around, we prayed at the bean pot right down into that corner where Terry was in his wheelchair at that time. And we were up against the glass and, you know, he was waving and giving us the thumbs up and, uh, and he came in the locker room after and said some nice things, how it meant uh, a lot to him to see his dad's team win another bean pot. And, uh, and then Ken Manchurik, one of our captains set the bean pot in his lap and it was a really emotional time. And, uh, and then, you know, he let us have our moment after that and, and, and we started celebrating and it was, you know, it was, it was just a great time. Great time. Um, the next year, the, the next year was, you know, back to back, like Northeastern, we were the underdogs most years. And, uh, the soda, so to, to win it back to back was, was quite phenomenal. So Jay brings up that great name, Kenny, the Hawk Manchurik. He's a great Northeastern player signed with the New Jersey devils. Never really made it there, but he was a great offensive player. Jay, you brought up coach Flamin. Uh, I got to know him so well, much like you. How did he influence Jay Heinbuck as a person and as a player? Well, Fernie was he, he was a, he was old school. Like you, I never missed a game my my career at Northeastern because Fernie was old school and and he wanted his players to be to be tough and play through injuries and things like that. And back then, if you recall, there there was junior varsity teams, right? So it was like the minor league team right below you. And and I can still remember a couple times being on the trainer's table and Fernie saying, are you going to be able to go tonight? And I'd say, well, gee, I got this bad hip pointer. And he'd say, well, there's someone from the JV team can come up and take your place. And, and uh, so I went out and played, never missed a game in four years. But, uh, you know, but it, it's funny, the transition, like I, I – I, Fernie tried to send that message that, hey, I'm in charge here. And by my senior year, I was one of the captains, and he knew we both had, uh, with the name Heinbach and Flam, and we both had German uh, heritage. And uh, he took me down to a, a nice old restaurant in Boston where they serve really good German food. And so there was kind of almost like a little switch where, okay, now I'm molding you into a person, and, and now I'm going to become your friend. And, and he was. I know it, in the scouting business, I've been in for my whole life here now, and you'd run into Fernie, and it was just always so great to see him. He's a special man. Great Agreed. stuff. One yeah. of the uh, common threads we've been asking people, too, is just how much uh, it prepares players, the bean pot, that is, to play in pressure environments and how much composure you can gain as a player, even as a human, I guess, uh, from being in that experience. What did you take from that element of the games? Well, it, it sure was because, like, for us, we we knew going into our seasons that, that we weren't going to be going to the the Frozen Four, and now we they called it the Final Four back then, but Frozen Four. And so the Bean Pot was our championship, and mm -hmm. and we wanted to win that. Um, you know, fourteen thousand people cheering and screaming, and uh, it, it, there was a lot of hype. And and I actually uh, I have to touch on something I was listening while Doug Brown was just on and what great timing by you guys. And he, and he has had a few concussions because he mentioned the goal six seconds in his freshman year. It was actually in 1985 because I was the guy that coughed up the puck to him on that goal. <laughs> we, I was, I was mentioning this to Pierre last week when we talked about it, we had a two one lead and this was the semifinal game. The first Monday uh, in 1985, we had a, a two one lead, uh, 
starting the third period on a power play. So as we did back then, I played the left point quite often. So our center wins the faceoff directly back to me. I give a little shoulder fake and try to saucer it over to Jimmy Averill. Doug Brown knocks out a midair, goes in and scores high glove on Bruce Racine, six seconds in. So you talk about trying to crawl into a hole somewhere. Well, thank God 4,000 people were still in getting beers at the concession stand. <laughs> but, uh, no, and, and no, thank goodness that uh, Watertown's Joe McGinnis was a line mate of mine in that game, and he scored the go-ahead goal against Scott Gordon a few minutes later, so we ended up uh, winning that game. So thank goodness, or I'd, I might have some problems with myself right now after that. <laughs> See, Jimmy, I told you he would bring that goal up, and he yeah. did. Good on you, yeah. Jay, for doing that. That's awesome. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. So, Jay, for our, our viewers out there, what are you doing these days? Well, um, my 18th year with Pittsburgh Penguins as a scout, um, you know, and it's funny you asked me that because I was thinking just the other day, um, you know, what the bean pot means to different people. And, and for me, it was real. Like, I could look at it as a door opener. I, uh, I, I came down on my recruiting trip to the bean pot. Uh, wow. Don McKenney brought me down, uh, you know, sat uh, myself and a couple other recruits right at center ice, first row of the balcony. I grew up with, with Bob Yor, he was my favorite player, still is my favorite player of all time. And uh, so Fernie brought us down into the Bruins locker room, showed us around. Somehow Milt Schmidt happened to be around, so I met Milt Schmidt. And uh, so the next, the next day I committed to Northeastern, you know, before before even getting on the airplane and thinking about it. So, um, But it, it's been kind of a, a door opener because I've been in hockey all my life. Uh, you know, through through the bean pot, I went to Northeastern. I, I met a few well, a lot of people along the way, but uh, Pierre and, and I have a good friend in Ray Shiro has been a, a big influence in my life. And uh, through Ray, I, I met Pierre and uh, Ray and Pierre ended up uh, helping me get the job at St. Lawrence University way back in 1982 as an assistant coach. So I was there 10 years and four years with the Islanders and now 18th year with Pittsburgh. So the Beanpot's been a, a door opener and uh, that's, you know, kind of hockey's been my life. It's It's been that's it's been a great ride. Hey, Jay, I got to ask you, because I grew up playing against them. It's no secret. Jimmy Madigan and I have been friends a real long time. Yep. What's your favorite Jimmy Madigan story? <laughs> it's tough to narrow down. Oh, yeah, I don't. <laughs> Lay it out there, Heine. Well, well, I don't want to. I'll, I'll, I'll do a throw, throw under the bus story, because Jim, Jim's not a, a big drinker or anything like that. But sometimes the last day of class, for any person in university is a celebratory time. And I can still remember seeing poor Jim Madigan walking after his last day of class. They went golfing and he came back staggering with his golf clubs on his hands and everything. And that's totally out of character, Jim, Jim Madigan, uh, because he's such a professional guy. So that was really funny. But also, uh, Jim and I worked together when we first went to Pittsburgh and Ray Shiro hired us. And Jim was a part-time scout in the, in the New England area. And I was a full-time scout. And, and, to this day, you know, Jim will talk about it once in a while. He said, we're going to win a Stanley Cup with this team. And sure enough, uh, three seasons later, 2009, we, we beat yeah. Detroit and won a Stanley Cup. And I can still remember Jim hugging me at uh, Joe Lewis Arena uh, after we won and said, I told you we were going to win a Stanley Cup with this team. <laughs> so Jimmy, that was good thrill. Jimmy, Jay's won three. Yeah. Wow. Three Stanley Cups. Love it. Good stuff. Well, we appreciate you taking the time, Jay. Uh, I hope Northeastern does well for you. They're coming right on right now, so we'll let you go so you can go war watch that, them in Harvard, and then, of course, BCBU in the second game. Best of luck to you. I'll see you around the rinks, eh? 
Okay. Thanks, guys. Appreciate I, it. Travel safely, G. Thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate right. it. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Right. Take care, guys. Join us here on the ITES on the SICK Podcast Network in our Bean Pod edition. And as I just said, the Bean Pod is about to get underway here, Pierre, in Boston. Uh, you're going to make a pick on a winner? Uh, yeah, I'm going to really be going off, off the edge here. I'm going to take BC. <laughs> okay. I'm going the other way, and my dad would kill me, but I'm going BU because right. I, 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 got, I got a feeling that last week left a real bad taste in their mouth, and they're out for some redemption this uh, weekend. And what better way to get it than, than to beat them? In the I, I, listen, I get it. I totally yeah. follow. I but totally there's, there's definitely more skill on B, on BC. I'll give you that. Well, the sure. one, again, we talked about Jacob Fowler before. Yep. I think Fowler is the X factor. If he, he plays exactly. to the level that I think he can – he, that's a huge advantage over all the other teams. And For again, sure. they're all good. All these teams are good, but I don't know if anybody's better in goal yeah. than Jacob Fowler. Now he may, you know, have a tough night tonight. Who knows? But Who I knows? still think he's the best goalie there. We'll see. All right. Well, I appreciate you lining up all these wonderful guests here. And again, big thanks to our production crew there in Vegas. Uh, uh, they're doing today. And I hope they have a great time on uh, Super Bowl Radio Row this week. I heard it's I don't know, like thousands and thousands of people in uh, Radio Row, I guess. Like, wow. It's, it's no, like it, its own little city, I guess. Jay, what, what these men have done for us today to get this show on, on the uh, internet is phenomenal. Yep. Uh, I'm so grateful for everybody over at the Sick Podcast and what they were able to do. Uh, Mind shattering. When we were just before we came on, I was like, where are they? We're at the <laughs> airport in Vegas. So I'm like, what? <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you so much. It really thanks, makes guys. a big difference, and Good we appreciate stuff. it. And thanks to all our guests as well, and thanks to you, the viewers. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow for another edition of the Eye Test here on the Sick Podcast Network. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Eye Test with Pierre McGuire and Jimmy Murphy on YouTube, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts.